startle us, O God, with your truth and open our hearts and our minds to your wondrous love. Speak your word to us, silence in us any voice but your own, and be with us now as we turn our attention, our minds, and our hearts to you, in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So today is the Feast of the Holy Name. And as I was preparing for, um, to preach this Sunday, I couldn't help but think back on my childhood. One of the things that I can say about my childhood is that I never doubted that the Lord's name was holy. Worse than saying crud or crap or calling someone a jerk. Worse than all of these was saying the name of Jesus in a fit of emotion. Because I knew it was off limits, I'd say it. And then when I'd get in trouble, I would become my own defense attorney and argue that I said Jesus or Jesus. In my childhood, we observe the feast of the holy name every day. Its actual feast day is January 1st, the eighth day of Christmas, which we've just moved to this Sunday. And it's the occasion where, when Mary and Joseph had their son circumcised and there named him Jesus. The whole event is encapsulated in half a verse. And he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Thus, the feast of the holy name. So I want us to think about what makes his name holy. But maybe first we can ponder for a few moments the power and significance and richness that lies in a name. Maybe you know this quote. What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other word would smell as sweet. Do you know what that's from? It's from Romeo and Juliet. And when Juliet asks what's in a name, she isn't thinking about this abstractly. She's wondering why the beauty should Metatha dance has to belong to a rival family. But would Romeo still be Romeo if his surname wasn't Montague? It's doubtful because being named something other than Montague would mean he grew up in a different family with a completely different set of life circumstances. Just as a rosebush split and raised in two different soils in two different climates won't produce exactly the same roses. Names are more than just functional handles for various objects. In folk tales, names are often associated with power, either the power to control people or the ability to free yourself from their thrall. Recall the tale of Rumpelstiltskin. In Hayao Miyazaki's wonderful movie, Japanese anime movie, Spirited Away, the witch, Yubaba, enslaves people by stealing their names. As we know, a similar process was used by actual slavers. African and Native American names were stolen and replaced with slave names 
and English or Spanish surnames, erasing one's history and replacing it with another. As a brief aside, I think it's one of the reasons why the Black Lives Matter movement has bid us to say their names, to say George and Brianna and Ahmad. In saying their names, we give them back the dignity of who they are, their life and their story that they had been robbed of. Names are powerful, and the ability to name is powerful. In fact, it's close to the divine. You'll recall in Genesis chapter one that God creates by naming. Let there be light, and then he called the light, he named the light day, and the darkness he named night. God names earth and sky and sea, but naming all of this on earth and in the sea and the skies, God gives the power to humans to name. Remember this verse from Genesis 2, and the Lord God formed out of the earth all the wild beasts and the birds of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the human called each living creature, that would be its name. It's in this context that Adam is first used as a name for a specific human, that he is first named. Adam is really a Hebrew pun. Adam comes from Adamah, maybe you knew this, which is a word that means earth or ground. Adam is literally from Adamah, from the ground. So Adam really means groundling or earthling. And the name Eve um, in English or Ava, in Hebrew it's Awa. It derives from the words that mean to breathe and to live. So just as God forms out of the earth and breathes life into Adam, so earth, Adam, and breath, Eve, will become the parents of all living humans. And the first task of Father Earth and Mother Breath was to name things. You can discover a lot about learning about a name. If you spend much time in the Psalms, you'll notice there's frequent reverencing of the name of God. In the Psalm appointed for today that when led us in Psalm 8, we hear, O Lord, our governor, how exalted is your name in all the world. In Psalm 31, we hear, for the sake of your name, lead me and guide me. Psalm 145, I will exalt you, O God, my King, and bless your name forever and ever. It's a curious phrase to bless God's name, to reverence God's name, or to petition God in the sake of God's name. How dare we have such intimate access to God as to lay claim on God's name, such power God's given us. So great and awesome was this God and God's ways. They're unknowable, God's distance unfathomable, God's face unseeable, God's hands untouchable. Can we dare name this God? And yet, this God, creator of all, who's otherwise beyond our grasp, takes on face and form in a child of Bethlehem. He allows himself to go to the temple to be circumcised and named. This very God is represented in our world just like we are, with hands and heart and eyes, 
with desires and expectations and fears, and given a name, Jesus, a name which both identifies him, that is, sets him apart from us, and meanwhile joins him to us. So for the last few months, I've been reading theology with some good friends and former seminarians, and with one of my favorite professors from seminary, Dr. Burgess. In our first meeting on Zoom, Dr. Burgess said, after I think I addressed him as Dr. B, Dr. Burgess said, you guys can call me John now. Have you had that experience? Maybe you were being respectful and deferent, um, honoring someone's uh, titles, and then they just step through the veil of all of that and invite you to use their first name. Just call me John, he said. It's still kind of strange to do it. Something, something like that is happening in the Holy Incarnation. The high and mysterious one steps into time and says, go on, you can use my name now. Jesus, Jesus. For the name, the name, which is a very common name, it's our name, Joshua, it just means God helps or God saves. The name of Jesus is power. It's power. I learned this the year I was the chaplain at the Emmaus community in Pittsburgh, a group home for, um, for those with developmental disabilities, most commonly with Down syndrome. One of the things I noticed in praying and reading the Bible with those with special needs was that they almost never called him Christ or Lord, but referred to him as Jesus. Christ and Lord can sometimes sound abstract and cosmic and a little vague. Not Jesus. He has skin and eats meals and knows what it feels like to have a tear running down his cheek or have to struggle with technology in a service. Bear with us as we get our camera going again. Not the cosmic Christ my friends at the Emmaus community referred to, but the little and humble and poor name of Jesus. They perceived with great simplicity the holy name that Charles Wesley wrote of in his hymn, Oh for a Thousand Tongues to Sing. Jesus, the name that charms our fears, that bids our sorrows cease. Tis music in the sinner's ears, tis life and health and peace. You may know that one of the oldest ways of praying is a simple repetition of what is called in the Eastern Orthodox Church, the Jesus Prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. It's a short little phrase that is to be repeated over and over in rhythm with your breath, with your heartbeat, and it can be said at any time. Some practitioners will just shorten the prayer to its most essential word, and they'll just say the name Jesus. Breathe in, Jesus. Breathe out, Jesus. You could try that right now. Breathe in, Jesus. Breathe out, Jesus. Just repeating the holy name.
I should have told my parents that I was just praying. I don't know about you, but sometimes I struggle to know what to pray or how to pray or what to say. If we take counsel from our Eastern brothers and sisters, they might just recommend saying the holy name and letting its gentle light illumine and bless our hearts. Jesus, Jesus, it's such a simple and powerful prayer. We can say it at any time. It's always with us. So I don't know what you do as you navigate your way through your day, when you have minutes of in-between time. Maybe, maybe it's while you're waiting for a red traffic light to change. Maybe it's while you're waiting for an appointment or sitting on a plane. Maybe it's while you're on hold on the phone. Maybe it's during the wee hours of the night when you find yourself awake, sleepless yet again. Maybe it's while you go for a walk or run to clear your head, or maybe it's when you wait for water to boil, the coffee to brew, the mail to arrive, the news to come. Those moments, those in-between moments can be vacuous, and you may find yourself almost defaultly obsessing over all the distractions and anxieties in your life. Especially during these moments of space, you might just find it inviting to breathe in the name of Jesus, to breathe it in, to breathe it out, Jesus. Name him Christians as our choir bid us, name him Christians with love as strong as death. You can even do this as a way to pray for others, holding an image of a person on your heart as you bring them into the loving and merciful company of Christ. I mean, Jesus. Even pray it for those who don't share your particular faith. Buddhists or Muslims, those maybe secular humanists, people revere his name and they know that there's some power in it, some mysterious holiness in it, because there is. And we are invited to breathe it in, Jesus, to breathe it out, Jesus. God, your help, God, your savior, God, come close, God in your head, God on your lips. Indeed, tis music in the sinner's ear and life and health and peace.